I'm not ready yet, so why don't we take just a minute and get up and shake hands with somebody that you don't know and get to know their first name and their last name and their social security number. No, don't get that. Don't get that. Just get up and shake somebody's hand for a minute, would you please? If you're online, shake hands with somebody in your house. Okay, that was short-lived, but that's good. Where did Bethany go? I got thrown off. One of my heroes of the faith is here, so would you you come on up? Come on. I know you didn't plan on that, but come on up. She's supposed to be on vacation, and I'm ruining it, so come on up to the platform. We support her and her husband in the mission work that they do down in Mexico. They They are our only missionaries because we so believe in what they do. And uh, we appreciate the work that they've done. And so what I want to do is if I can get Pastor Mark and Barbara to come on up, have them, let me get a mic. We're going to pray for the Bairds. Can we do that? I don't know how to turn this on. Oh yeah, here we go. She didn't ask for this, but people never do. Let's go ahead and pray for Bethany and Brandon. Heavenly Father, we join together as the body of Christ here just to lift up two people that you uprooted from their normal lives and their normal home to take them somewhere so that they could make a difference in that place in people's lives. And they have done that. And Lord, as they just invest their lives in such a difficult task of reaching young people, wrapping their arms around them, becoming a family to them, pouring into their hurts, their pain, their past, their trauma, and bringing healing and hope and a future into their lives, pouring God where there is void in the lives of those young ones. We ask that you would be with Bethany and Brandon, that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them grace, that you'd give them continued vision, but that you would also surround them with people who would lift them up at times when their hearts, their minds, their bodies grow tired, grow limp, grow weary. And I thank you that you are our strength and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Be their strength, be their guide, be their support and raise up an army to surround them, to pray for them, to give to them, to provide. But we know most of all, Lord, that you're the provider. And so we look to you in trust, believing that every need will be met, both physically, financially, spiritually in their lives. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we serve. And I know that Bethany and Brandon's eyes are on you, Lord. And that's the reason they followed you. Bless them, bless them, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. She's an amazing human being. Amen. Let's give her a hand. If you don't know the Bairds, get to know the Bairds. Uh, I'm sure we have some way to connect to them online. Amen. Let's stand for a moment. It's perfect that she came because this is week eight in our challenge for the summer. And we're doing two things. We're praying about a thought and we're memorizing some scripture and we're taking a day to fast and pray over that. Uh, this is the last week and this week is to deny ourselves bearing our cross. So the statement is that we, we want to be followers that would find a way to give up our lives to bear the cross, the calling that God has given to us for ministry. And the passage is Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 and it says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Christians live a whole different life than the rest of the world. We believe by giving up our life, we save it. We believe by sacrificing our life for the kingdom and the things of God, we save it. We believe that if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and find out that God had this amazing spiritual plan for your life and you said nope I'm going to take care of me I'm going to live for me I'm going to be it's going to make it all about me and you missed out on the fact that God had something so much greater something more eternal and we want that for you so let's go ahead and pray over that Father um, one of the reasons that the Bairds have always been important to me is because they don't just talk this verse, they live this verse. They've given up so much of their life for broken children. So much of their ease, so much, they, they could have such an easy life if they just lived for themselves. But they're living for you and they're living for others and they're losing their life to save it. I look forward to being in heaven with you, Father, when you get to honor them for their sacrifice and for their time. But Father, there's more people who need to hear the gospel. There's more ministry that needs to be done. But we have to be willing to give up our life that we might have life. So encourage our hearts to seek this week in prayer how we can deny ourselves and give to the kingdom. We love you so, Father. As we get ready to worship, we pray that our hearts are turned towards you and that you are honored by our, our song. We love you. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, let's go ahead and worship. to 
for a moment just imagine standing before the throne of God we're not the only ones that were worshiping God this morning angels in heaven have been at it since the beginning there are other churches that have been worshiping God there are other Christians that have been worshiping God this morning he's been getting so much praise and so much honor and so much glory they've been singing holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory Amen. Just imagine standing before him, hearing the angels, being in awe of his beauty and his glory and his... Father, we look to you this morning. A perfect God a holy God, a righteous God, a loving God, a compassionate God, a caring God. And we offer ourselves to you this morning. We open up our hearts and say, what you need is open. Come in, Lord. Fill this place. Fill this space that I'm giving to you today because you're worthy to reign over my life. We love you, Jesus. And Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, 
couple of announcements real quick. Uh, first Thursday is our um, kind of our teaching time. It's the first Thursday of every month, so it's August 3rd is the next first Thursday. It's a potluck, it's communion, it's worship, it's teaching, it's prayer. Um, and the last first Thursday was the best first Thursday we've had since we started it nine months ago or seven months ago. So it took us a little while to get into it, but we're into it. So bring your prayer requests, bring your, bring your open hearts, and bring some good potluck, right? I'm just saying. On August 8th, it's a Tuesday, it's at 6 p.m., we're doing a marriage conversation. It's a continuous, continuing teaching from what we taught at the men's night on Monday night, which was awesome, by the way. So we're going to include the wives in that conversation. Amen. And you're going to be sitting next to your wife when we're having that conversation. So be ready for that. That's actually, I was supposed to teach just the leadership, and I thought... Uh, the response on, on uh, Monday night was so great that I thought we need to carry that out and kind of work through some things together. So that's August 8th at 6 p.m. There was a widow woman who gave her offerings to God, and while she didn't have much, she gave all that she had. Jesus noticed it. Jesus noticed it. Not the amount. The amount was insignificant to him. The physical amount. But the amount of herself that she gave was powerful to him. Enough that she pointed, he pointed her out. If God saw the heart behind what you give, the heart behind your tithes and the heart behind your offerings, what would your heart show God? What would it show him? That you have surrendered your life to him or you're more concerned about yourself? And that's, I'm just, that's the way it is. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, we obtain, the elders have obtained a good report. Throughout history, faith is how men and women honored God. So when it comes to our offerings, what's the heart behind it? What's the heart? Are we willing to actually trust God with our all, or are we just going to give him what we feel safe with? That was free, but let's pray. Father, be with the offering, Lord God. I thank you for those who trust you with all. Not just some, not just part, not just partial. But those who would give up their lives and give up their, their own benefits that others might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open our hearts up to that, Father. Look in the room, look into our hearts, look into the truth of our offerings tonight, today and honor those who give their all and help those who don't. Help them to see that you are worthy of our faith and our trust. Encourage our hearts, Lord God, as we, take, as we give our offerings. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. One more song.
dismiss the kids at this time. You adults may be seated. Thanks guys for coming up with us. Have a great time in class. I'm going to be dealing with the adults. Oh the joy, right? I want to thank Krista for her what did she make on Monday night? She made uh, Homemade whipped cream. <laughs> like, you just don't get that anymore. It's all Costco stuff, right? That's what I get is Costco stuff. It was awesome. You know you're in a great place when you're an old man and you still love food, right? We're going to look at, a, at, an, at an iconic passage of Scripture this morning. And if you're a new Christian or a non-Christian... I would suggest that this become a foundational truth in your life, that you know this part of Scripture well. Because it describes how God works in our lives. It describes exactly how He works in our lives. And that's Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to turn there. And before I get there, I feel like we need to pray. Would that be true? Not we need to pray, but we should. How many of you are ready for God to do something in your life? Let's, let's pray. You want to come up and pray, pray up front with me? Come on, come on. Don't be shy. Two. Come on now. Pray with me. Let's get out of our comfort zone a little bit and just, uh, and you know it's a sacrifice when you're my age and you get on your knees because you may not get back up. <laughs> Father, for most of the people in this room, this is not a game. Church is not what we do because we have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. It's what we do because we come to worship you faithfully together to be encouraged by your word and to encourage you by our worship. But Father, this moment in time I think is pivotal. Not just for this church, but for the greater church. Those who claim to be Christians are falling away from you faster than we can produce more Christians. Churches are struggling with faith 
not just faithful people, but people of faith. There seems to be more world in the the modern day church than there is the word. But I believe you want something more from us because you want something more for us. I believe you want us to see you high and lifted up. I believe you want us to feel your presence and to know that everything's going to be okay because no matter what's going on in our lives, you are there for us and with us, holding us, helping us, healing us, We look to you this morning. We'll make room for when you walk into the room to do whatever you want to this morning. Open our hearts to you today. Jesus, we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Thank you, guys. Isaiah chapter 6. Do I got a teenager who will read scripture this morning? Any teenagers? Everyone's looking around at teenagers. No teenagers want to read the Word of God this morning. Okay, I'll read it if I have to. But I got to turn the light on. And I forgot my glasses, so I've got three pairs of glasses. I forgot all of them. That's okay, you don't have to help me out. I'm laying the guilt on heavy on purpose. Because now they're really uncomfortable. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. This is how God works in our lives. And the example is Isaiah. And it begins with a moment of destabilization. When God works in our life, the best way God works in our life is when our lives are destabilized. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. It wasn't until King Uzziah died that moment that destabilized him that caused him to see the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. When you lose a king... In that day, there was no leadership to protect you and to provide for you and to care for you and to guide you and to lead you. So to lose that earthly authority that we talked about in the first part of this series that God put in place, it destabilizes people. And so Isaiah felt good when he had a king in place, but when that king was gone, he felt like everything was messed up. And we do that with earthly thrones. And we, we all face these times in our lives when when a great president passes away or moves on. Now, I don't care whether you liked Ronald Reagan or not, but Ronald Reagan was a good president for me. Just where I was in my life and who he was and what he was doing. I I got a job because of Ronald Reagan's policies. So I always was thankful for his... I didn't care about anything else. He got me a job. And I I had a family to feed, and I was milking cows for 25 bucks a day, and I got a job paying 14 bucks an hour, and I thought I had it made. That was 1984, by the way, just, just so you don't say, 14 bucks an hour, that was a lot of money in 1984. When a great president passed away, it, it, it destabilizes you. 
because you don't know where your country's going to go. And our nation has been in that place for the last few years where everything's kind of up in the air where we're going as a nation. Amen? Throw the politics out of it. Just the reality is we feel destabilized. When a great parent passes away or moves on, we feel destabilized. I had an amazing father. And I was in my 30s when my father passed away. And it rocked my world because I knew that no matter what happened in my life, I could always talk to dad. There was something about having a good dad that you can always talk to him. You can always go to him. You can always, he was always there for you. But when your good father passes away or passes on or whatever happens in your life, it destabilizes you. I was weakened for a season because my father was no longer uh, uh, there for me. Even when a great pastor passes away or moves on, it destabilizes our spiritual lives because we get used to somebody being in place and then and, and we just trust that that guy's going to always be there the next Sunday when we show up. He's going to be there the next Sunday when he show up. And he's going to be there the next Sunday. And when he's not there, we feel destabilized to a degree. Some are happy, but some are not. <laughs> but the truth is, there's this moment of destabilization. And when that destabilization happens, we have a tendency to look to God to provide stability. Because we go from earthly thrones to eternal thrones. We go from what God has given us here to give us the best life possible, which are earthly thrones, and we look to the eternal throne because that's all we have left. My earthly father passed away, but my heavenly father never left the throne. Are you with me? But I had to kind of explore that and find that place because I was so comfortable with my earthly thrones in my life. It's in that moment of destabilization that most of us have turned to God. We seek his presence, his power, and his protection. My daughter was born with liver disease that destabilized me because nobody expects their child to possibly die. And it threw me off. It kind of rocked my world. And it caused me to look to God to help me because I, I didn't know how I was going to do it, how, how I was going to survive if, if I lost this child. And I don't know, how I, some of you have lost children. And I tell you, I don't know how you do it without God. And what's interesting about this passage of scripture is Isaiah was already believing in God and serving him before this experience happened. But through this destabilization, he sought something more. And I believe many of you know Jesus. He is your savior or you think he's your savior and you've been following him for years, but you are looking for more. Because when that destabilization happens, when something heavy happens, when loss happens, and we, our world gets rocked, it makes us look to God more. When Isaiah looked to God, he saw spectacular things, as we read in the passage. He saw God was the ultimate authority sitting high upon the throne, that God was in control. And that's We say that God's in control, but it's not until your life is out of control that you realize just how much in control God is. But when your world is kind of shook up, you realize, I still know that God is there. I may lose this, I may lose that, I may lose my job, I may lose my my spouse, I may lose my, my child, but God never leaves. 
He saw that God was the ultimate authority sitting high on a throne and that God knew full well what was that all about? God knew full well what was going on in, in Isaiah's life. Can I tell you right now, God knows whatever's going on in your life. God knows exactly what's going on. He's fully aware that you're hurting, that you're suffering, that you're struggling. He's fully aware that you need help. He's fully aware that you need hope. He knows that your world has been rocked. He's fully aware that your world has been rocked. But sometimes we have to have that happen for us to realize who God is. That we realize that God still is under control. Even though our world seems like it's spinning out of control. So great was this experience of Isaiah that God's presence filled the room. Haven't you had times where it just seemed like God was closer to you than other times? And more often it's when the times are the worst that God seems the closest. When things are the most difficult, it seems like God just, his presence just kind of fills the room. You, you feel his peace, you feel his joy, you feel his love, you feel his power. His presence filled the room. And Isaiah heard the beings who, the angels who surrounded him, worshiping him day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Could you imagine being in a place where people know God so well that they can sense his presence in that way? And that, it's, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's good, that he's kind. This experience was the most powerful thing that Isaiah had ever felt, and it shook his world. And I believe that it's easy for us to live every day of our lives under the thrones that God's put in place to protect us, provide for us, and produce what's best for us. But all it takes is a destabilizing event to cause us to seek more. Many of you in this room are kind of like Isaiah was before he saw God. You have an appearance of godliness. You're not bad people, but you've only known what you've been told by people who have known God. You can follow all the rules of Christianity. You can obey every authority that God's put in place. You can praise and you can pray to a God that one day you hope you see, but you've never actually had that personal experience with him in your life. You can apply, you can study his word and apply it to your works, but sometimes his works and, works and words are just religion. Have you ever been in that place where what you do is you do it because this is what I do. I go to church because that's what I do. It's a Sunday I go to church. You don't come to experience God. You come to experience church. You read your Bible so you can know more about God that you don't really know really to be true. Just, you just know that it's been said about God, but you've never experienced it for yourself. Are y'all okay? This isn't as heavy. Last week was heavy. I get quiet last week. Last week was a lot. Amen. But have you ever been to that place where you just want something more? Like you want more. And once your safe little life has been destabilized, you seek something deeper. 
So you go looking for the one true God. And when you find God, he's nothing like you thought. But the truth is about finding God is once you find him and you find out that he's not what you thought he was, you find out that you're not what you thought you were too. Isaiah was a prophet of God, faithful, loyal, devoted, but there was something hidden in his life that religion covered. And I believe that that's true for you and for me, that religion can cover something and hide something that is true, but we want to keep it hidden. But once the light of the presence of God shined upon Isaiah, something powerful happened. And the Bible says in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When he saw God high and sitting on that throne, when he saw God high and lifted up, when he saw God in his holiness and his righteousness and his love and his power and his presence, he said, I'm messed up. See, I believe this is what happens when you honestly seek God. You find him, and when you find him, you can't help but find you. We live in a time where everyone's saying, I want to know who I am, who I really am. We'll stand in the presence of God and we'll find out who you really are. Be in his light you find out it'll, it'll shine on you and the truth about you will come out. This destabilizing event led Isaiah to the truth of himself, making him to make this statement, I am doomed. Have you ever felt that in your life? I am doomed. Am I the only one that gets caught eating something I shouldn't eat and my wife catches me and... I am doomed because now I got to hear why I shouldn't be eating what I'm eating, but it tastes so good. I had ice cream the other day and I had to do it at night while she was sleeping. What's really bad is I wanted to hide the ice cream box and I literally thought I need to hide this from her because, oh! I'm doomed. I am lost. In the face of God that Isaiah sought after, a great destabilizing event, he not only saw God high and lifted up, but he saw the truth about himself. When the truth about yourself is found out, it's that pit in your stomach moment. It's called guilt. Like you know that God knows what you've been hiding all this time. Neapolitan ice cream, not hiding it as well as I should have. You know in that moment when you've been caught and you just can't hide anymore. You can't hide the truth about yourself. You've been faking it for a long time, but the truth is your life is a lie. Come on now. You could hide it before you had a king to make sure everything would turn out right, but once the king's gone, it's just you and God and in the presence of the one true king, you find out that you're lacking. Have you been there or are you there? You know that you're hiding something or you think you're hiding something from God. But it's just that you haven't let the light shine on you to find out what's really true. You think you can hide it. You think you can get away with it. But the truth is, you're not what you think you are. This is why this passage is, is so important and what makes it iconic. Because in the presence of God, Isaiah saw the truth of himself. And that's a good thing. 
rather than continue to hide what he knew that God knew, he did what all of us should do. When the truth about us is com comes out, he confessed his sin. He confessed his sin. This is more than a religious act of saying that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong in the past. It's the kind of response that I'm sure Isaiah had before he actually saw God. Oh yeah, I've done sins. I've done this sin or I've done that sin. Or, you know, I used to struggle with that, but now I don't, which I used to struggle with gluttony, now I don't until the ice cream shows up. I no, don't say that. See, this was different because the light that shone on him from the throne of God made things perfectly clear. And he made this statement. He says this beautiful statement. I am a man of unclean lips. When the light of God shined on him and he saw the truth of who he was, he didn't say, yeah, I've sinned. He said, no, this is my sin. This is exactly what I've done against God. This is exactly what is wrong with me. This is exactly what I'm doing in my life that I know that I shouldn't be doing, but I've been hiding it. This is a man of God. This is a prophet of God who's saying, I am a man of unclean lips. That's why you don't like to hear your pastors cussing. Because it destabilizes you. There's a story that I was going to tell, but I'm, I'm not going to tell it. I shouldn't even say that because then it makes you wonder what the story is. <laughs> See, this was different because the light that shone on him from the throne of God made things perfectly clear. And he was specific about his sin. When was the last time you were specific about your sin to God? He said things he shouldn't have said or said them in ways that didn't represent God. Well, so he knew that he was saying things wrong, but he said them anyway. It's funny how couples can come to church and act so perfect when they're together but when they get out away from the church they don't treat each other that well they talk to each other differently oh I love my husband I hate that guy yeah you shouldn't laugh too loud at that one maybe he lied about things not always big lies just lots of little lies how are you doing oh, I'm doing great liar how many of you have done that? I'm doing great. No, everything's, everything's going good. I got it all figured out. The truth is you're hiding the fact that you're scared to death and you've got to, you're all messed up. Maybe he gossiped about people. Not openly, just little snide comments that are derogatory towards that individual. Amen? I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe he misquoted scripture by taking it out of the context, but justified by saying, well, it, it fits in the moment. I don't know. I just threw that one in there because he was a preacher. But see, when he knew he was in the presence of God, God saw his sin. So I put it this way. God sees what you're not saying. I wonder how many of you are doing things that are not horrible, but they're not holy either. I said this earlier, you've got a form of godliness. You look a certain way in a certain situation. But the truth is, if we really saw the truth of who you are, you're not who you portray yourself to be. 
in the dark places, you have sin that you don't confess. You think you can hide it. But that's just because you're not standing in the light of the throne of God. Because in the light of God, all sin's exposed. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 13 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Scientific evidence of the fact that when the light shines on something, people can see it. When the light of God shines on you, what would it expose? For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Just, just take Jesus and set him beside you and, and, and live life with Jesus. We'll find out how pure you are and how perfect you are and how good you are. If the light of God's presence shined on you right now, what would it expose and how would you feel? Would you feel guilt? Guilt is an indicator of sin in your life. If you have no guilt, it's because you're not doing something wrong. I feel guilty that I was eating ice cream at night when my wife was asleep because I knew that it wasn't healthy for me. It's not good for me. Ice cream is good, not for me. So now she's, <laughs> we're going to have a conversation when we get home. I know that's going to happen. But see, there was more to his sin than just his own tongue. And this is kind of the, the part that I want to really focus on this morning. Because being in God's presence, it exposed another truth about Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This part of the passage is intriguing to me, because on the surface, it sounds like Isaiah is saying, I'm a sinner, but so is everybody else. I mean, we're Americans. And we just do what Americans do. Have you ever been around that person that, that confesses his own sin but says that everybody else is doing it? Well, I've seen other Christians do it. Yeah, that makes it right. Well, my wife does it. Oh, yeah, that makes it right. My parents do it. Well, that makes it right. Because everybody else is doing it. And they're trying to lessen their guilt by saying everybody else is doing what I'm doing. And I don't believe that's what's happening. I don't believe that Isaiah is saying everybody else is doing it. I think that's the wrong way to view this passage of Scripture. I think it's a misinterpretation of what the Scripture is teaching. Because remember, he's got, his life is destabilized because he has no king. He's worried about his future, and he goes and he seeks God, and he stands in the presence of God, and he realizes God is this holy being, this, this beautiful being, this loving being, this compassionate being. But he also saw his own sin. I'm a man of unclean lips. And now it would be wrong for him to blame others for why he was doing what he was doing. See, I believe Isaiah with his sin exposed wasn't claiming that everybody else was doing it as if trying to justify his position. And I say this because blame is a part of original sin. One of the first things Adam and Eve did when they got caught in sin is they blamed, it's the woman you gave me. How many times have you said that, guys? If I just had a better wife... Okay, nobody wants to respond to that. I just, <laughs> y'all listen to me on Monday. That was good. 
It's Satan. How many, how many of you ladies have blamed Satan for your own sin? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Okay, nobody's, nobody's responding. Because blame is a part of original sin. And when you're blaming other people for why you're choosing sinful choices, that's just more sin. That's not the response of somebody that sees their own sin. It's somebody who says, I'm going to excuse it by saying it's because Pastor Mark does it. It must be okay for me to do it. Mark's like, what do they do? <laughs> See, blame is not, blame is a cover for sin, not a confession of sin. You think it's going to cover it. You think it's going to hide it. Because now I can say, it's, well, everybody else is doing it. So what is the sin that he was confessing? And I want you to hear this loud and clear. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He wasn't confessing the sins of other people. I believe when the light of God was showing upon his face, Isaiah literally said, I'm choosing to do life with people who are in sin. This was not about the people's sin, but about Isaiah's choice to be around unholy people. I live right in the middle of unholy people. And I choose to live there. It's a comfortable place for me. It's a safe place for me because I'm, my sin's no different than anybody else's. I've said this for 25 years. I'm going to say it for another 25 more. Ducks run with ducks, dogs with dogs, and pigs with pigs. And women who gossip run with women who gossip. <laughs> Ladies, you know that if somebody comes and gossips about somebody else to you, that down the road they're going to gossip about you. But the reason you hang around that person is because you're comfortable with their sin. Because you do it too. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Okay, I can tell we're having fun. Men who are rebellious run with men who are rebellious. What's funny about men who are rebellious who run with men who are rebellious, they always rebel against each other so they're always fighting everybody. They're fighting people they run with. They're fighting people they don't run with. They're fighting each other. They're fighting others. Teens who complain about their parents run with teens who complain about their parents. But standing before God, you will not answer for the sins of those around you, but the choice you made to hang with them. Who do you dwell in the midst of that you know you shouldn't dwell in the midst of? Who do you dwell in the midst of that you know are, is not help, helpfully, helpful or healthy for your spiritual life. Well, they're my friends. Doesn't mean it's good for you spiritually. Well, they're the only friends I have. That means you need to be friendlier or not be somebody, you, you got something going on that people don't want to be with you. I know that sounds rude. I've learned this. Good people, godly people want to be with good people and godly people. They will take care of and tolerate sinful people, but they won't live with them 
There are people that I can be around. There's people that I can't be around because when I'm around them, they draw me out, draw out my sin. So I just choose not to be around them. I choose not to dwell with them because I, it's so much easier for my sin to come out. Are we having fun yet? Because I'm getting a little scared now. See, I believe who you are around is who you are. Who you hang around with is who you are. If you're somebody who complains about Christianity or the church, you're going to be somebody who complains about Christianity in the church. And the church is his bride, so you're complaining about his wife. I'm just going to promise you, you complain about my wife, I'm not going to hang around you. Because I know the beauty of her. I know the truth about her. It's just not healthy for me to hang around people who complain about my wife because you're just going to make me complain about my wife and I don't want to do that. I have to live with her. And I love her. And I married way up, so I've got a lot to do better at. <laughs> who do you dwell in the midst of? If you're around religious people, you're probably a religious person. You're doing things because it's what the law says, not because you love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And yet, that's, we want to be around religious people who talk about what the Bible says, but don't actually live the dumb thing. Well, not the dumb thing. <laughs> See, the question is, do you confess the sin that you're choosing to be around people who are not godly people. If the light of God's glory shined upon you, if his presence shined upon you, what would it say about you? See, in this moment of destabilization, there was a deep seeking of God which exposed Isaiah's sin, which he confessed. And he was honest. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell. I choose to live around ungodly people. And I know I shouldn't. But something spectacular happens that I want you to see that I don't think, I think when we read our Bibles, we skip over this really cool parts. Isaiah 6.6 6 says this. Well, give me, do we have Isaiah 6, 5 up there real quick? Okay. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That was confession of sin. That was confession of sin. Look what happens right after he confesses his sin. Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Now what's important about this is when Isaiah was honest with God, when Isaiah was honest with God and he confessed his sin, one of the angels from the throne of God went from the altar of God, took a burning coal from the altar where the sacrifice was made for sins, and flew to Isaiah, and where Isaiah's sin was, God's salvation was. 
He touched my mouth. That's where his sin was. And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, your sin that you have confessed is taken away. Are you with me? Your sin's atoned for. The moment that he confessed his sin was honest with God because he couldn't hide the truth anymore. An angel was moved to offer forgiveness of sins to Isaiah. And it touched not some random spot where he just said, well, I'm just a sinner. He said, no, no, no. Here's my sin. Here's what I need forgiveness for. And that forgiveness was offered by this angelic being from the throne of God. From the altar of God, I'm sorry. First John, and I'm almost done. First John, verse, and I'm going to start in verse 5, and I don't have my glasses because I have three pairs of glasses. I've lost them all. This is a message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God and while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. God is light. There's no darkness in him. If we say we walk with God, but we walk in darkness, if there's sin in our lives, we're lying and not doing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess with our mouth, I'm sorry, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you with me? When your life is destabilized and you seek God, God will help you find him. When you find him, you're going to find out that he is holy and you are not. Your response to that is confession. And his response to that is salvation. Confession, salvation. Confession, salvation. Forgiveness of sins. Your guilt is taken away. Meaning by the offering that was placed on the altar, this guilt that you feel in my presence has been covered. You don't have to feel the guilt anymore because you've been honest and confessed what you've done and I have offered you forgiveness from this, alt this offering that was put on the altar. Romans 10, 8, 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confession, confesses and is saved. What's your sin? That you've been hiding. God's trying to expose it today. God's trying to expose it tonight, to, today so that you can have your guilt taken away. Why would you want to live with the guilt of, of your sin? You're either a man or a woman of unclean lips or you're choosing to live around sinful people. I mean, there's multiple other sins. You know what they are. Standing in the light of God, standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, what would be revealed about you? Isaiah was living according to the religion of his people, but in the face of a 
destabilizing event. He sought God. When he saw God, he saw that there was no one like him. And he was moved by the worship of angelic beings, realizing that he was standing in the presence of God's holiness. And in the holiness of God shined off on him and showed the truth of his sin. And this guilt weighed him down so much that he felt doomed. And in that doom, he only could do one thing, is be honest about his sin and confess it. I have sinned against God. He chose to sin and he chose to live with sinners. And in the moment he confessed, you got to get this. The moment that he confessed, God moved to take away his guilt through the sacrifice of his own son to the saving of Isaiah. But God shows his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do I summarize this? When sin is confessed honestly in the presence of a God who is holy, the guilt you feel can be halted by the forgiveness that God hands you. Come on. That's cool. You're going to face a destabilizing event sometime in your life. Something's going to happen to make you want more of God, to seek more of God, not just for information or inspiration, but for salvation. And when you seek God, you're going to find Him because that's what He promises. And when you find Him, you're going to find out you're not who you think you are. And you can either confess your sin or you can continue to try to hide it, but you can't hide it in the light of God. And why would you want to? Because all that, all that exposure of your sin is just going to make you feel guilty. And some of you are feeling guilty right now for sins that you're committing in your life. And you know you shouldn't do them. And God wants to save you from them. But you're afraid to confess them because will he forgive me? Yes, he'll forgive you of your sins. Whatever they are. But you've got to confess them honestly in the presence of God who is holy so the guilt you feel is halted. Why live with guilt when it can be forgiven? When he'll touch you in the place of your sinfulness to forgive you of the sin that you've committed. There was a day when my parents in my childhood neighborhood, all the parents, performed a cleaning routine not acceptable in 2023. When a child would use words deemed inappropriate by society, they would cleanse the mouth of said dirty words by applying dial soap to the area of filth. <laughs> this was not only performed by my own parents, but if I was caught by other parents in my neighborhood, they had the approval to wash my mouth out with soap. You want to scare a child? Tell them that every adult in the neighborhood can wash your mouth out with soap if you say the wrong thing. To this day, I refuse to use dial soap out of fear it might trigger past trauma. <laughs> but it changed me. Because I didn't like the taste of it in my mouth. I don't like the taste of guilt. I don't like the taste of shame. I don't like the taste of fear. What changed me was not, not the punishment, but the response that I got after. 
Neither my father and mother would continue to berate me for my sin. They never continued to tell me, you're wrong, you're bad, you're sinful, you're, you're this. They never propagated the guilt. They tried to remove the guilt from me. Instead, my parents would act as if I never sinned against them at all. They didn't get embarrassed because their child acted this way. I got what I deserved and they gave me what I needed, which was forgiveness. There was no continued shaming. There was no constant badgering about my choices. My parents let the guilt of my sin settle into myself. And realizing once that I had suffered for what I had, had done, I was forgiven. Once the consequence of my choice was paid for, I continued my life pardoned. Do you like the taste of guilt? Because I think it sucks. Don't you love the taste of forgiveness? Don't you just love the fact that God loves us so much that he is perfect? He just wants us to be honest and say, this is my sin. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm sinning against you for. But it takes a destabilizing event. Because most of us would rather live with our guilt and hide our sin. Most of us rather, would rather have that bad taste of negativity in our mouth because we, we understand thinking negatively about ourselves. What happens if you didn't think, have to think negatively about yourself? I'm a man of unclean lips and I choose to dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because I've seen God. And he says, great, let me forgive you for that so you don't have to keep living that way. You don't have to think about yourself as being a negative person and in sin. You don't have to think about yourself making wrong choices. Because I don't know about you, but I've made a lot of wrong choices in my life. And I don't need to be thinking about all those wrong choices. I don't need to be reminded of them. I need to be forgiven for them so that I'm free from them. So I don't feel bad about myself because I've made stupid choices in my life. And all of us have made stupid choices in our lives. And you can hide them all you want, but the truth is your life shows the, the, the evidence of it. Standing in the light of a perfect God, your sin is seen by all. And what I love about this passage of Scripture is the moment that he confessed honestly his sin to God, he was cleansed of the guilt and the sin that made him feel shamed. Why would you want to live another day, another hour, another second with your sin? We're not going to bring up later if, if you're forgiven. We're not going to talk about it. If you confess it and he's cleansed it, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're not going to bring it up. My goodness, I don't need you bringing up my sin. But even if you do, I've been forgiven by the king. I've been forgiven by the king for all of my mistakes that I've confessed. 
Do you want more? It might be time to confess your sin. It might be time to be honest with God this morning. You know what his light is showing about you. Why do you want to live in that guilt? Why do you want to keep looking at that? Let's stand. Some of you are wanting to skulk away. Why? I don't understand it. Why would you want to live another second with your sin? Why would you want to feel guilty at all? When you can just be honest with God this morning, confessing your sin, being cleansed of your sin, and being saved from your sin. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. You know that he wants to forgive you of your sin. You know that he wants to save you. You know that he wants your guilt taken away. Why would you hold on to it any longer? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you've got to confess that sin. Why would you want to live with it anymore? I'm running out of time, guys. I'm getting older. I'm not going to have more opportunity. Some of you may never come back to new life. Chicken. This might be my only shot at helping you see there's a God who loves you and who sacrificed his son on the cross to pay for your sins so that your sins are atoned for. But you've got to be honest about what you're doing in your life and confess your sin to him and call upon him to forgive you. Trust that Jesus is the way for your sins to be forgiven and your guilt to be gone. Why would you live another day? This makes no sense to me at all. Why would you live another day with the guilt of your sin, feeling bad about yourself, feeling bad about your life, when you can be cleansed of it right now. Father, we love you. I love you because of this passage right here. Because for years I was just a religious person following the rules, doing the right things. And one day I realized I need more. And I sought you out. And what I found is you are holy and I am not. You are caring and loving and I am not. That I am a man of whatever my sin is. And I've made these choices on my own. I can't blame anybody else for my choices. But I'm confessing the choices that I've made that are sins against an almighty God. And you came down and gave me your son as payment for my sin. And when I trusted in what he did for me, from that altar, you took that coal and you touched my sin and said, it's forgiven. 
I don't have to live with my guilt. I don't have to live with my shame. Because Jesus paid for that on the cross. Father, I don't know who these people are deep down. I, I, I only know what the light of the earth shows me. But what does the light of eternity show them? That if they just confess that you will cleanse them, if they just confess their sin to you, believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, they'll be cleansed of their sin. Help them, Father. We're going to worship for just a minute. Just I want this song to kind of wash over you a little bit. You can sing with him or you can just, just soak it in for a minute. We're asking God to move on our behalf right now. Yeah. 
If you're in the room today and you've kind of seen a little vision of God today and you're ready to confess, heads bowed and eyes closed, please, just so we can help people be private. You're ready to confess your sin. You've seen a little bit of God. You've seen his holiness. You've seen his righteousness. You've seen his love. And you look at yourself and you don't see that. What you see is a man, a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for whatever your sin is. And you want your guilt taken away today. You want to, like, this is a hospital. We're going to heal you today by taking your guilt away. Don't go home with the sickness in you. Let's let Jesus pay for it. Let's let Jesus atone for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room and you want to confess your sin to God today, do me a favor and raise your hand. Amen. 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 Now I know this. Some of you are still trying to hide. You can't hide it from God. God sees it. God wants to save you from it. Pray with me, would you? If you're ready to confess, in fact, if you're ready to confess, come up here. Come on, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Come up here. Let's just deal with this the way we deal with this. Come on. Some more of you raise your hands. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Let's pray. Father, these people have come to be freed from their guilt. They don't want to live with it anymore. Some of them it is for sanctification. Some of it is for some of the, for some of them it's for salvation. But whatever it is, they've seen you today. And they see how holy you are. And they've seen how angelic beings worship you and praise your name. And they've seen in the light of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, they've seen that they are not what they should be in your eyes. And the guilt that they are carrying is too much to bear another moment. So get your angels ready with the coals off the altar. Get them ready to fly. Because we're about to pray to you. And each one of them needs to speak to you themselves. Each one of them needs to look to you, not to me, not to this church. Look to the God in heavens who's waiting to forgive them of their sins. If you're ready to confess, pray this prayer with me. God, I see you holy. 
I am not. Confess whatever sin it is. So you need to be specific about your sin. Just confess it. Don't, don't worry about being perfect on it. Just the, the things that you're feeling guilty for, confess that sin. And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do that. God, I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of shame. I need my sin paid for. And I trust that Jesus did that for me. That he sacrificed his life for my sin. And that my faith in him will move you to forgive me of what I've done. So I trust Jesus to be my savior today. And I ask you, honestly, forgive me. And remove my guilt. I've confessed with my mouth. I've confessed my sins. My sins, not other sins, but my sins. So, Father as we've been honest with you today, get your angels moving so that these people who have confessed their sins can feel their guilt being washed away. That these people who have been honest with you and they've seen their sins and they've said, this is what I'm doing wrong, that you will touch those areas of their sin, cleansing them of the sin, and causing the guilt to wash away. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. With heads still bowed and eyes closed so that nobody's embarrassed. If you prayed for Jesus to save you today, so that your sins would be forgiven and you would feel no more guilt. And it was a prayer of salvation that you need Jesus and want him in your life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just raise your hands for me? This is for me. Amen. 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 If this prayer was a prayer of sanctification, maybe you've been saved, but you haven't been living right. 
heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, this is prayer of sanctification for me. Amen. For those of you that have prayed that prayer, your guilt has been taken away because your sins have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But now that your guilt is gone, what are you going to do with it? Some of you need to let the world know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You need to take a step of baptism. Some of you need to confess your sins to the people that you've sinned against. Some of you need to start living your life right. You need to stop living among sinful people. You need to stop being around people who are going to cause you to sin. You need to change your lifestyle. Start living according to the Word of God. So that you don't feel that guilt again. So that guilt doesn't come back. So Father, I just pray for those who prayed today. I'm glad that we got to make your angels a little busy today. A little, I just, I have this image in my mind, Father, of the angels in heaven just stirring about praising your name as you're saving people, you're healing people, you're forgiving people. Thank you for being so awesome, God. For some in this room, Father, something's going to have to break. I can only do so much with what, I, what my part in this is. I can only present the word. I can't cause the heart to open. I can't move them to, to trust you. I can't move them to believe that you do love them and that you do want to forgive them, that you do want to cleanse them of sin. But they're going to have to be honest and confess, and something may have to break for that to happen. So, Father, I know this is not the prayer they wanted me to pray, but I pray that something breaks, that they look to you. So that the life that they're living in the darkness can be living in the light. Father, encourage our hearts today as we leave this place to continually seek your face. Because in your face is forgiveness. Help us to find that forgiveness in our lives. We love you, Father. Thank you for gathering us together today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Guys, have a great day. Love you. Appreciate you. If you need to talk to me more, don't be afraid to come. Amen.